Welcome to the Heal Podcast, where we believe God heals people in the way that brings Him the most glory and brings us closest to Him. Whether you've received healing, you're in the fight of your life, or you gave up on God a long time ago, you are welcome here. As you come to the table, listen with an open mind, knowing everyone's journey is unique, but pain is our common language. Hello, welcome to the Heal Podcast. My name is Tara Bradham Denai. I am your host, and it is almost spring, you guys. I saw that this Sunday is the official date for spring. So I hope if you're up in the north, you're starting to get some melts in the snow, some warmer weather, maybe some blooming flowers. Maybe some people are headed into their spring breaks. And so I just really hope you are enjoying that. I have been very excited to see the sun peeking back out where I live. So happy spring to you. This episode is with our new friend, Sherry Davenport. Sherry is a certified life and relationship coach, and she's joining us just after very recently losing her husband to cancer. I am so grateful that she is willing to be brave and come on in such a season of her life where she's still processing and still grieving and still loves her husband and wants to honor his legacy. So we're grateful that she's joining us here. And I think that you're going to leave with not only having your heartstrings pulled, but also some really practical advice on what to do through grief, how to face our own mortalities, how to invite to death for coffee, as Sherry said and how to respect people, whether you're a caregiver or you're the person in pain, how to respect people's decisions on their treatment plans and all kinds of things. So I can't wait for you to get to know my new friend and our editor Nick's longtime friend, Sherry Davenport. Yeah, well, speaking of, since we're talking to our editor, who I know as Nick and you know as Sarah, she is the one who brought us together. So I think it's so wonderful, your connection with her. And I am excited for all of our listeners to get to know someone so near and dear to Nick's heart and someone who I really respect after the one conversation we've had. So Sherry, welcome to the Heal Podcast. Thank you so much for having me on here. I'm honored. And when Nick told me about the Heal Podcast, I started listening. I thought, oh, that would be interesting to be on the podcast one day. And then she reached out and it was like, cool, I'm in. Yeah. So excited to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. I love it when those things happen. You're like, it's just a whim. You're like, wow, that'd be cool. And then here we are. Yeah. So tell us where you're from. Where are you coming to us from? And tell us a little bit. I mean, it's like the the typical interview question. Tell us a little about yourself, but anything fun or your passions, anything like that? Yeah, that should be pretty easy. So I'm in Missoula, Montana. I was raised on a small dairy farm in northern Minnesota, Mm -hmm. and I was kind of a wild child. And then I had a friend in high school who was a wild child with me who met the Lord. And then she graciously prayed me into a pit so that I wouldn't have anywhere else to turn except to Jesus. And I thought, "Hmm, if I end up in a pit, I'm not calling you. Did you know that she was praying for that at the time? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. She had had a radical experience with the Lord. And then she started praying for me. And I was a little pothead, also an athlete and stuff in high school. And then she started praying for me and I did 
totally end up in a pit. If there's anyone in a five county radius you wouldn't want to be associated with, that was who I ended up dating. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, she called after my parents had found out and it was really awful and I was grounded. And she just said, you know, can I come listen? I'm still your friend. And I was like, well, I can't go anywhere. So she came over and then I ended up going to Fergus Falls, Minnesota with her, where there was a a really neat, healthy church. I actually haven't had to unlearn anything that I was taught there, hmm. you know, nearly 40 years ago. Wow. Super healthy. So I went with her there and that was about three hours away from where I grew up and went to a youth meeting. And I think it was in the middle of the, the worship um, session that the pastor just kind of stopped and he said, is there anyone here that would like to start over with a clean slate? And I was like, oh my goodness, is that possible? Because that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and really raised, raised my hand and met the Lord at that time. And the thing that he made so real to me was that I really got to start over with a clean slate. It said, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. Mm-hmm. And that was so real to me that the next day, even driving down the street, it's like the trees look different. I just knew that I had gotten a, a clean start and was so grateful for that. This is high school? Yep, high school, right before my senior year in high school. Okay. We were going to have a good volleyball team that year. So went back to, to high school there. And about the middle of my senior year, I went to a little retreat and met some different people and met a guy named Carl and we ended up getting married two weeks after I graduated from high school. And he had manic depression and was kind of untreated and my past always kind of bothered him. And so it was, you know, a slightly abusive relationship, not a real healthy relationship, Mm -hmm. but we did lead an adult Bible study and youth group and he played saxophone in the church and everything. And then after we'd been married about two years, he decided that he didn't want to be a Christian. And I mean, really that sudden and within a week, he started drinking, smoking, smoking pot. He asked my boss out. He asked a junior high girl out. And he found somebody to sleep with just to see what it was like to not be a Christian. And I was pretty floored by that. That was not my plan. That wasn't what I ever thought would happen. And that is when I I just said, I can't live like this. Have you not come home at night? It'll drive me crazy. And that's when I ended up moving to Missoula. Carl and I had actually helped a couple move to Missoula in June. This was June of 83 to start a church here in Missoula. Mm -hmm. And we kind of planned on coming the next year, but just knew the timing wasn't right. So that's how I ended up in Missoula. He said, well, why don't you move out there till I'm done living this way and then we can get back together. And I'm like, well, great. (laughs) So I moved out here and in with uh, the pastor and his wife and their two kids and then they had two more kids and so lived with them and then he ended up filing for a divorce within a, a few months and grateful we never had any children he just wasn't very stable unfortunately and it was pretty amazing that I never took that as a personal rejection hmm. I really knew that that was 
more his issue than mine. So we ended up getting divorced in 84. And then a couple years later, my roommate ended up working for this office equipment place. And I went in to have lunch with her and I met this cute guy and she came home from work and I said, so who's that cute guy? And she goes, who? I said, well, there's the old guy that owns the place. And then there's the married technician, the other one. She goes, oh, Jim. (laughs) And I said, yeah, Jim. So he was, he was single. And so we kind of started, I started having lunch dates with her more often so I could see Jim. (laughs) So that, that's how I met Jim. And that was the beginning of 1986 and still loved playing volleyball and they would have volleyball at the church where he went on I think on Monday night so we'd go play volleyball so I'd see him there and then I'd see him at a bible study and then at a a different function and so I saw him three four times a week but I wouldn't date him (laughs) which was kind of funny did he ask yeah his his mom came (laughs) for us to go to a valentine's banquet and so that was kind of with a few other people And yeah, and so I did end up hanging out with him, but I really did not want to make another mistake. So he would, Mm -hmm. he knew he wanted to marry me and I just didn't think he was spiritual enough, which is pretty interesting and actually told him that, which Mm -hmm. he thought was pretty arrogant on my part. And I have to (laughs) agree, (laughs) but yeah, so we ended up getting married November 29th of that same year. After he asked a few times, right? Yeah. And I said no. And he was just really patient. He knew that I liked him and he knew that I wasn't playing a game or being manipulative. He knew that I actually was afraid of of making another mistake. And so he was just so patient. And if he had gotten, if he had, you know, kind of demanded an answer, I mean, I just said, if you want to answer now, it's no. And I realized that I might lose you because you said you wanted to get married this year, but I'm just not ready to say yes. And it was actually James Dobson that kind of called it like the crisis of confidence Hmm. that we just really, that that's never going to serve us very well if we pressure people Hmm. when they're not ready to be pressured. So he was just so patient and he knew I'd come around and my pastor told him to grow his beard back and that was all it took. And then I'm like, (laughs) okay, I'm in. So always, always liked him better with a beard. Yeah. So that's how you ended up here or there. Yeah. I'm not there with you. Yep. In Missoula. Yes. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that, by the way. Yeah. And will you go into a little bit? I mean, you and Jim had a family and then what has been the most recent ordeal? And then we'll kind of pick it apart and get into the story. But yeah, what, what brought you to this podcast? Yeah. So where my friend worked was this office equipment business. So Jim and I got married the fall of 1986. And then I started working there the beginning of 1987. And so Jim and I worked together for years and always got along and really enjoyed working together. And then about he had a five-year-old daughter when we got married and just loved her. Her name is Shannon. And we just have had a great relationship. And she has a daughter. So I have a granddaughter Mm. who's 12, I believe, or 11. Sorry. And she just had a birthday. 
Happy birthday. Yes, Chloe. Happy birthday, Chloe. <laughs> she'll she'll like to hear that. And so we worked together off and on in this business. And then about five years after we got married, I had our first daughter and she just had a baby a couple of weeks ago. So I have a grandson now as well. Congratulations. Thank you. A cute little guy. And then we had a son a couple of years later and then another daughter. And they, all the kids live in Missoula. And I guess what brings me to this podcast is Jim passed away from cancer a week before Thanksgiving in 2021. And he, in 2020, kind of the middle of 2020, he started to get a little lump on his right arm near the elbow area and just thought it was maybe a cyst or something and just kind of ignored it. And then just the summer happened. And then my father in Minnesota got very sick with cancer as well. And so I ended up going back there for three weeks in October of 2020, and he did pass away. Then I came back to Missoula and Jim got COVID. And so he delayed this MRI that they were going to do to to see what exactly this lump was, which was growing quite rapidly. And then it was December of 2020 that they did the MRI and they said it's definitely not a cyst and likely a sarcoma. Mm -hmm. And so we were referred to an orthopedic oncologist in Spokane, which is about three hours away. And we really weren't hearing back from Spokane. We'd check in with them once in a while about an appointment. And then I just kept doing other research and trying to figure out, you know, what, what other treatments could we do? Mm -hmm. And I ended up calling a place in Tijuana called Immunity Therapy Center that I'd heard about. Tijuana, Mexico, right? Tijuana, Mexico. Yes. And so I called them Christmas Eve morning. And I was like, oh, just thought I'd get an answering machine or something. But they answered and and they said, uh, you know, send the PDF of the MRI and a doctor will call you back. And I said, today. And they said, yeah. It was like Christmas Eve day. And they said, yeah. And I was like, okay, great. <laughs> so the doctor called back and, you know, said it was a possible sarcoma. And I said, well, what if we just eat really good for eight weeks? He said, no. He said, no, you need to come right away. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about saving his arm and saving his life. I was like, really? They said, yes. I said, can we come Monday? And they said, yes, we'll figure it out. Like you get here and we'll get him in. Yeah. So it's like, okay. So we ended up driving to San Diego and then they came and picked us up at the airport and we were there for three weeks and they just moved very quickly. They did PET scans, CT scans lined up a surgeon who did an excellent job. Uh, a lot of the people that worked there were believers as well and met lots of Christian people there at, at the center too that were doing the alternative cancer treatments. And so he had surgery January 18th to remove like an eight centimeter tumor from his right arm. And the surgery was successful. It was pretty cute. He woke up from the surgery and he was moving his hand, you know, open and close. He's like, look, no nerve damage. <laughs> I said, so I had to get out my phone. I said, okay, say it again. <laughs> he kind of slurred his words. And I showed him the video a few hours later. He goes, he goes, I thought I was saying it perfectly. It was pretty cute. But Aww. a few years earlier, we had totally fallen in love with pickleball mm -hmm. and 
and he was not wanting to have any nerve damage so he wouldn't be able to play that or golf and so that's where he was excited that they were able to remove the tumor with with no damage yeah so then we headed back to montana and really kind of you know kind of finished the supplements and different treatments and stuff when we got back and just felt that he had beat it and he was cancer free until may when he started to feel that the the lump was growing again and when the same place yep same place and we never did do radiation that was strongly recommended but it just took a while to get the specimens here and then it sounded like the the damage would outweigh the possible benefits and so we opted not to do radiation radiation meaning chemo no radiation actually kind of the targeted external radiation to that area okay and so we decided not to do that and and then the it came back in may and we were kind of thinking that you know we could just have the lumps removed again but turns out that the next surgery would be radical i don't know what they call it but amputation of his right arm Mm -hmm. and he just was not willing to do that yeah he's like nope I don't want to do that. And, and I talked to some different, you know, cancer places and, you know, natural medicine places that said, we've, we've not seen sarcoma patients do very well, just going straight holistic medicine without amputating. Because it's like such a severe type of cancer or. Yeah. Super aggressive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the oncologist in town said, if I were going to pick a cancer, I wouldn't pick this one. He mm-hmm. said the, the chemo is brutal and not very effective and radiation usually doesn't do well either. Mm-hmm. And so we did talk to the surgeon in Spokane. We did go over there and visit. So we were kind of ready to go if we decided to do that. But we were kind of offered some hope by some different places. And so we did end up going back to Tijuana again to uh, Chipsa Hospital, which is another place in Tijuana that offered some different treatments. And we went there in August, end of July, beginning of August, and for three weeks and had some success. Like one of the tumors went away while we were there. And then we went in, again in September for another week. And yeah, we weren't having a lot of success. The tumors were kind of growing faster than we could kind of get a handle on them. We were trying to debulk them externally using a blood root protocol, hmm. which was working. And then we were also doing kind of an internal blood root protocol. But, you know, he had just been on that like six weeks. and And then, you know, kind of right in the the middle of this, he was working. So he ran the family business and managed the family office equipment business for like 40 years and had always been promised that it would be his when his parents passed away. And his dad died a few years ago and his mom is in her nineties. And she just, for the last like 2018, 19, 2020 and 2021, had just really questioned him pretty intensely for several hours every week since the beginning of 2018, just 
questioning why he was using her money to pay for personal things, which he never did. And everybody at the office and the bookkeepers and everybody else knew that everything was totally legit and accurate. And it was just a constant battle Mm -hmm. that he had to, to fight. And because of probably memory issues, he would have to start over like the same story over and over again. And when we were in Tijuana, she came into the office and said, Jim isn't coming back and that she was in charge. And that really destabilized everybody at the office. They loved Jim and loved working for him. He was a great manager and boss. And they had a lot of loyalty. Some employees had been there 26 years, 21, 17, 14, you know, just long-term employees. And And it was just really a really difficult time. And, you know, during that, I guess I have to go back to kind of the beginning of 2018. So Jim had always been promised that the business would be his. And he had like five different wills that his mom had signed saying that he would get the business and the other five siblings would split everything else. And then the beginning of 2018, we were visiting one of Jim's other sisters and she said, do you know about this trust? And we were like, no. And so she showed it to us and his mom had signed a trust that one of the other siblings had drafted or created. And that said that the business would be split six ways and that this other sibling would be the trustee. And when I heard that news, I know the color drained from my face and I instantly felt sick to my stomach because it was like, oh crap, what do we do now? (laughs) This had always been our plan. Mm -hmm. And now this changed and Jim, I was 61 or 62 at the time. And we just kind of knew that we had a choice to make, that we could either get bitter and ugly and fight this or figure out a plan B. And that's when we decided that I would get certified as a life coach. Mm -hmm. And I had already been helping people. I had gone through training on three different like emotional healing modalities Mm -hmm. and was already kind of helping people just for free. Just anybody that kind of had emotional issues or whatever, I would just, you know, do these different ministry type things with them. But I always kind of saw holes in these systems. And so when I heard about the life coaching, I was like, that sounds like exactly what I want to do. So in the fall of 2018, I I got certified as a as a life coach Mm -hmm. and have been, you know, kind of building my business, you know, since then. And so it's been wonderful to have the, the flexibility and stuff. But but one of the tools that they teach is that emotions are vibrations in our body. Some of them are pleasant and some of them are uncomfortable and don't feel very good. Like literally, or is this metaphorical? They literally are vibrations in our body, you know, caused by chemical reaction, hormonal reactions. And, Hmm. and so when I got that news from his other sister that everything that we had planned on for 40 years was now changed. 
I had uncomfortable vibrations in my body. <laughs> and that's exactly what I told myself. I was like, these are just uncomfortable vibrations. And just telling myself that allowed me to stay present in the conversation. I didn't need to run away crying or get all upset. It was just like, it was just like sitting in the discomfort mm -hmm. of that anxiety, of the fear, and just knowing that our bodies are designed to handle any emotion mm -hmm. that our minds can create. And I think that has been really one of the most helpful things to know in this entire journey. Is it really our minds are able to handle all the emotions that we think, or is that something like we surrender the emotions we think to God or both when you talk about, you know, the Bible says be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Is that like our working with God or how would you describe that in that kind of term? Yeah, that is really a good question. So interesting because with the, like the emotional healing or inner healing modalities, what I saw was people's emotions change. So they come with a lot of anxiety or typically that's the one that drives us to get help because it is one of the most uncomfortable emotions is anxiety. Mm -hmm. And so they come with this or guilt or shame or something like that. And so in these different ministry sessions, we would kind of identify what was going on, what was the thought that they were thinking and then they would wait on the Lord to speak to them. And so he would, you know, like say something to him, like, I love you. You're forgiven. Your past is gone. I've, I've taken care of it or whatever. And as their thoughts changed, their emotions changed. Hmm. But I also saw that one lady in particular, just her biggest I think battle or struggle was just thinking that her mom would never love her just for who she was. And so I said, well, let's, let's just ask the Lord what he wants you to know about that. And she heard very clearly from the Lord that her mom's ability to love her was about her mom, not about her worthiness and that she was worthy and that she was loved. Yeah. And that totally set her free in, in that moment. And yet a few weeks later, she went right back to the same belief system. Hmm. And there are people that are incapable of loving. And yet we can still be free and we can still be healthy. And so what I loved about the coaching model is that it's kind of like we we're wearing this uncomfortable outfit. Mm -hmm. It's too tight. It doesn't fit. It binds and it's not working. And so we can actually try on different thoughts and see what works for us, what's believable. And I do think like the verse that said, you'll know them by their fruit. Mm -hmm. That goes for, for so many things, but I think it goes for, thoughts in particular. Interesting. That when we think a thought, that if it doesn't produce the fruit of the spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, if it doesn't produce good fruit, it's not going to serve us. Yeah. So our emotions are like energy. Yeah. 
they drive all our actions. So in that, when you're talking about, I mean, for me, someone who's not well-versed in all of this stuff, I'm looking at your story. And, you know, when we talked previously, you said, you know, you think even some of this stress was possibly related to Jim getting cancer and all of that. So it sounds so simple when you're like, you know, I just acknowledged that these were vibrations and emotions. And then it was, you know, I was able to move forward. But I mean, I have to think as you're walking through this cancer and everything else with Jim, that there was the temptation for a lot of bitterness towards people and or towards this situation. So what is that true? And like, what did that look like practically using these tools? Yeah. To, to work through that. Yeah. Again. Yeah. That's, that's, so, and that is really my main point in even bringing up that story is to say that I had good reason that most people would agree with. I would be totally justified in being bitter and angry. Yet when I think certain thoughts or when I try to blame someone else, that doesn't feel good for me. Like we don't get to choose a lot of the circumstances in our life, but I do get to choose how I want to experience that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where all our power lies is in choosing and deciding on purpose how I want to think about the circumstances and how I want to experience them. And I think with, you know, the situation with his mom and the other sibling and stuff is just, I can honestly find a place where I believe that they are genuinely trying to do the best that they can Mm -hmm. and that they really believe what they're thinking and what they're saying. And they're just trying to take care of themselves and get to the bottom of things. And like with Jim's mom being older that, you know, just talking to Jim, I said, you know, we don't get upset with her because she can't go up and down the stairs by herself. Like her body isn't capable of doing that anymore. I said, so we also, we don't have to get upset with her because her brain isn't able to process the information or retain the information that you just shared with her the day before. Mm -hmm. And so we can still love her, even though she comes with the same questions and accusations and we don't need to be mad at her. And so just chose to frame it that way, which seemed believable, but also compassionate and loving. And yet I think with Jim that he really didn't have anybody else to process this with. And I think he didn't want to burden me with the same story all the time. And I don't know. There's there's a book I really need to read it, but it's called The Body Keeps Score. Yeah, I've read it. It's very good. Yeah. And I just think it's kind of like when we when we eat something, now we need to digest it. And it's the same way when when we experience an emotion and sometimes they come so fast. They're mm-hmm. like when we got that news before I knew it, my body was flooded with this emotion. Mm -hmm. 
And then I had to digest or process those chemicals, those hormones that were in my body mm-hmm. so that they could move through. And, and I don't know that Jim was able to do that. I think he, he tried to just handle it, but I think it was really frustrating for him to, to be a man of such integrity. In fact, you know, speaking of the fruit of the spirit where I said, you know, he wasn't spiritual enough. And yet, if I were going to describe Jim and all his kids would agree that he was, he just embodied the fruit of the spirit. He was loving, you know, love and joyful, patient, kind, good, faithful. You know, he just was all those things. I watched his memorial service and it's pretty powerful when you have kids who pretty much unanimously say he was the perfect father. Yeah. That's not something you hear very often. No. And I do think when people, you know, pass away, you tend to forget all the negative things. And I was making dinner with a couple kids the other night and I said, okay, let's just talk. Let's just take a minute and talk about how dad wasn't so perfect. (laughs) It was quiet for a little bit. My son goes next. (laughs) I mean, he, he genuinely was just amazing. Hmm. You know, they couldn't even get him to complain about his cancer treatments. You know, he was just really always tried to keep a a positive attitude and stuff. But I think it was it was hurtful for him to to be questioned and to be accused. Super sad. And I think, too, I mean, we can't control these things. And I think most of us have something at some point in our lives like this. And and the truth of it is, I mean, I don't like have any scientific proof for this. I just see more and more connections between, I don't want to say undealt with, but unsurrendered, unprocessed, undigested, if that's the word you were using. Emotion turning into physical issues because we're just such interconnected beings. And so- on that too, though, I when we're talking about these emotions and things, I wanted to know when Jim made his choice, when he's like, I don't want to get an amputation, were you ever had emotional issues towards him for that? Because maybe you're just different and this is where I learned from people who have been married a long time and learned. But I feel like I would be like, uh, Jacob, you're you're getting an amputation. Like if this <laughs> isn't a life or death thing, you know, like yeah. you lose your arm like and keep on living for a little bit. I yeah. think I would be it would I can't imagine like not one speaking my mind or two trying to control it or to control him. So how did you let him make that choice and not take it away from him? And what were your feelings in that? Yeah, I think one thing was it was never guaranteed. Mm. It would have just increased his chances, but sarcomas have a tendency to spread to lungs and different things like that. So Mm. there was no hundred percent guarantee with it for one thing. But I think, you know, another thing is fear is typically what drives the action of controlling. Yeah. That out of our own fear, we try and control what someone else does. And we, we talked about it and I just really knew that it wasn't my decision to make. Mm. And I just wanted to love and honor him and support him in the decision that he wanted to make. Yeah. And so I never 
really pushed it. I said, I will absolutely love you with just one arm, no questions. So will the kids, but it's your call. And I really, I think, you know, like we kind of talked about when we, you know, met briefly last week and stuff that everything we do or don't do is so we will feel or not feel a certain way. Mm -hmm. And just kind of realizing that the main reason I wouldn't want Jim to die was so that I wouldn't have to experience grief or frustration on having to do things on my own or whatever, that it really always goes back to, it's about me Mm -hmm. and it's about you. And so when I could realize that I'll be okay, no matter what happens, because the worst thing that can happen is an emotion. And I do think physical pain is a little bit different. I haven't experienced a ton of physical pain, but that, Mm -hmm. that would be a tough one for me. I'll, I'll admit that that would, that would be a frustrating thing to have is constant physical pain. But as far as the emotional pain, I just knew that it was about me. And I think that's where you just say, you know, Jacob, you do what you need to do so that <laughs> I don't have to experience the pain of losing you. Yeah. And I think that's where I recognize that and just was able to release that to him and, and not pressure him hmm. to do that. And I know he appreciated, you know, that too, and was grateful that, and, and none of us really pressured him. And again, because it wasn't a hundred percent guarantee anyway. So at what point in this did you guys talk about the fact that yes, this looks like you could pass away? Did you have those conversations? I know you talked to me about like we need to have a conversation with death. I think you said we need to invite death to to coffee. Yeah. Which is really interesting. And I totally with other guests we've had on the podcast, people know that I agree with that. So Mm -hmm. first question is like, did you and Jim talk about this to each other? And then what did your conversation look like with death personifying death? Yeah. Yeah. When we were in Tijuana in January of 2021, my stepdaughter sent him a song, which we actually ended up playing at his funeral and it's uh, daddy, I love you. And we played that song and we both cried. And I just asked him, I said, what are you thinking? He said, I'm thinking I might not make it. Mm -hmm. And I said, I know. And I think we just had to acknowledge that, yeah, sometimes people don't beat cancer. Sometimes Christians don't Mm -hmm. beat cancer, despite praying and believing and knowing that he totally paid the price for our healing. And yet we don't always know how to manifest that in this dimension. And I do believe that that's, we're missing something. He isn't. And, and I think having a conversation with death, it's just, I think, you know, sometimes Christians just in faith, you know, quotation marks in faith, they don't even want to entertain the possibility. Yeah. And so they just kind of try and shut death in the closet and not even discuss it. Like, that's not a possibility. That's not going to happen. Just kind of a joke because it's a 100% possibility for all of us at some point. Exactly. <laughs> right. 
right? But I think we view it as a lack of faith if we go there. Yes. Yeah. No. I And that, that's not to not have sympathy for that. I totally have had those thoughts before and felt pressure by people in the church in that way as well. Yeah. And I, it was actually someone that was kind of talking about prepping, you know, back in Y2K or, you know, whatever. And they said, you know, if, if we just kind of take steps to have some extra water and food on hand or whatever, then we don't need to think about it. So it's kind of like you get in your car and you fasten your seatbelt and then you go, you've done all you can do to be safe. And I Mm -hmm. feel a little bit like having that conversation with death it's not like you have to have it every day. Yeah. You actually like sit down, you look at death and you just acknowledge the possibility that Jim could die, that this cancer could be what takes him out. Mm-hmm. And you accept that possibility, kind of process what would life look like afterward. I, I was like, I'll probably be sad and cry for two years and the sun will keep coming up. Mm-hmm. Even if I don't want it to, and I'll be okay. And the kids will be okay. And we'll keep living because that's what we do. And so there was just kind of an acceptance of that. And then it's like death can kind of take a side seat. And every time it's like, hey, hey, he could die. It's like, yeah, I know. We already talked about that. Hmm. Have you read The Book Thief? I have not. Well, I won't ruin it. But for anyone... Okay, I will say, I think there, I have my husband read it recently at, or at my suggestion, and he's like, wow, there's a ton of cursing that I had forgotten about. So I will put that caveat in there, but it's an incredible book. And I won't ruin it by why it relates to this conversation, but it, it has, it is one of the most interesting takes on death that you can cool. have. So, I, yeah, anyways, I would be interested. you know, it's kind of funny. I, like as a, a life and relationship coach, I think I'd mention I love working with cussing Christians. <laughs> it's just like, you know, people that have been in the church, they're probably still there, but they've just, they're not religious at all. And yet the church maybe hasn't served them very well as far as relationship advice or different things like that. So so it's kind of funny. I think if you're going to be in and out and about in the world, you kind of got to get over that whole cussing thing because it's just there all the time yes and yet at the same time running a christian podcast i feel like i should warn yes, someone about that <laughs> i'd <laughs> be agree. like wow tara like really recommended this book that's really interesting <laughs> or like, video series or something it's like oh forgot that was in there yes yeah so you had a conversation it sounds like basically i mean death as you know a person basically but it was like with jim's death yeah. So like, I feel like that, that's different of like me having a conversation with death of someone I love who who I think is dying or, you know, some people are taking care of kids who are dying, like having a conversation with death surrounding that and then having our own conversation with death about our own death. Mm-hmm. So I think that's different, yeah. but that's important. And I'm not sure we've talked about on this podcast uh, having a conversation with death when it's someone else. Yeah. 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 And yet I think, you know, there's a lot of caregivers. Oh, yeah, that, that kind of need to know that too. And, and I honestly, the hope of heaven is so huge. Someone recommended the book, Imagine Heaven. Hmm. And it's just a lot of stories about near death experiences and written from a, a, a Christian perspective, and just how someone born blind was able to describe in detail you know, colors and what happened and, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that, that 
obviously she was sighted, you know, she did have her sight while she was not present in her physical body yeah. when she had died. And, and so there's so much proof. And that was, that's just such a comfort to just know that Jim is literally living the dream mm -hmm. right now. And one thing I kind of think of in so many of those near death stories is people are given the option to stay in heaven or to go back. Yeah. And I just kind of picture the Lord, you know, asking Jim, it's like, so do you want to stay or do you want to go back? And I just picture Jim going, oh, Sherry, you'll be fine. I'm staying. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like that is a gift that I can give him hmm. is to be okay. Wow. And to help the kids be okay, you know, too, that. You know, we were married 35 years and there's so many people that know us and saw us together that knew that our relationship was really exceptional, that we truly were best friends and loved being with each other more than anybody else. We actually didn't vacation with our kids very much because we thought we'll vacation with the kids when we're kind of tired of each other, but that never happened. <laughs> So you just so we, took your own vacations and shipped them off to the grandparents or something? I know. We just enjoyed, you know, being together. And and I do think that, you know, it says it talks about being rooted and grounded in love. And I in high school, this one person said, if you never fall in love, you'll never get hurt. And I thought, oh, that's I can kind of see the logic in that, that it's the people that you're close to that can hurt you or offend you or whatever. And so I lived a lot of my life pretty guarded mm -hmm. and just, you don't let anybody get too close and then they can't hurt you. And yet when our son, he went into the, the Navy and I knew I, at the time I thought he probably, you know, wouldn't live in Montana again, being a, in the nuclear power field in the Navy. And so I knew that I had a choice to either move towards him and have it hurt more when he left or distance myself so it didn't hurt as much when he left. And I chose to move towards him and and actually grieved his leaving even while he was here. Like they'd walk in the room and I'd be crying and they're like, what's going on? I was like, oh, Luke's leaving you know, and be sad about it. But what was so interesting is I was able to process my grief about him leaving so that when he's at, you know, 18 years old, ready to sign his life away for a minimum of six years, that of course, all his fears are going to come up. And because I had already processed my grief, I was able to hold space for him to process his thoughts out loud. If I had all been tied up and intense and, you know, into myself and worried about me, then he wouldn't have had that space to even talk about what was going on in his brain. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's something that we can do for the people that we love and which, you know, kind of the first thing they teach us in coaching is, is just, we hold space for people to process their emotions without judging them, without shooting on them mm -hmm. or trying to fix it or anything that we can just listen and that's really what a lot of us are just looking for is like, you know, nobody can fix Jim being gone, but people just being willing to 
listen is kind of all that's needed. Yeah. Kind of process it with us. Okay. So in all of this, just because I see the time and I want to make sure we get to everything. I think you shared some tools that have helped you and your family, but I know that being a life coach and different things, you shared a lot with me that you have some practical tools for just how you went through all of this. So did you get to talk about them? Are there like two or three like tools that helped you get through this journey with cancer or even continue to go through the journey and grief that you wanted to share with us? Yeah, I I do. I think one thing I wanted to kind of make sure to share was to really be intentional about the story that you're telling yourself about the whole situation. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing I had actually a good friend who lost her husband to cancer almost exactly two years before Jim, who is also Jim's friend. They met at Bible camp in fifth grade. Mm -hmm. And I ended up, you know, talking to her and I saw that there were several painful thoughts that she was practicing and that she was entertaining and they just seemed true to her. And one of them was just telling herself that we were supposed to grow old together. Mm -hmm. And that was a very painful and sad thought to her. And so I knew I didn't want to think that thought about Jim. And one word that my coach has used to describe, you know, relationships that have ended in one way or another is that that relationship is now complete. Hmm. And so that is the word that I use to think of my marriage to Jim, that when he passed away, my marriage to Jim is now complete. It was, you know, just a week or so shy of our 35th wedding anniversary. And it was always going to be that way. I didn't know it, but our days are numbered and God was not surprised by any of this. And I can see him preparing me just even getting certified as a coach and And just some other things that were just, you know, our son came home from the Navy in like March of 2021. So he got to be here and spend some time with his dad. And, you know, just so many different things that I can see God's hand preparing us. Mm -hmm. But just thinking of that word, uh, the word complete just has, it it bears the fruit of the spirit. You know, it it causes me to, to just feel settled and okay. And had I known it was going to end this way at this time, would have I signed up for the first 35 years? It was like, absolutely, for sure, I would have. Well, it's interesting to the thoughts we believe that it's just like when you say that, everyone says, well, we were supposed to get old together. I I mean, and I've never actually thought about, wait, that's actually like not guaranteed and Mm -mm. not like, I mean, yes, that's a great hope, but that is not like a truth statement from God, like, this is a promise you're guaranteed, like not at all. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think another thing too is, you know, just when we found out it was for sure cancer, I never said, why me? I never asked why me? I asked, why not me? Mm -hmm. I mean, I have had a really good life. Jim never had a doctor. He was never sick. He was super healthy the whole time. He, you know, won like a 4.5 level men's double tournament in July, you know, just, you know, a few weeks before he passed away. He was, you know, he was healthy except for cancer, which sounds strange, but Mm. 
you know, just so grateful and cancer strikes, I don't know, one out of two and a half men in the country or the world or something. I mean, the statistics are so high. And so to, wow. to wonder, you know, why me, why me? It's like, why not me? You know, I just think that was a more helpful thought to me than the other one. Yeah. And yeah, just looking at, you know, if a thought causes you to feel fearful or bitter or angry or resentful, that you can kind of question the thought versus the thoughts that cause us to feel loving or compassion or even curious about what someone's experiencing, that, that just to know that all our thoughts are optional and that we get to choose. It says we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. And I, I think one of the most helpful things is to allow all the emotions. And when we just open ourselves up to feel all our feelings and to allow all the emotions, then we can just kind of process them naturally. But when we resist emotions or resist anxiety or whatever, and we try and push it away, it's kind of like trying to hold a ball underwater that it kind of wears you out and it's going to pop out sideways at some point. Hmm, that's a good yeah, picture. It is. It's, you know, my coach's example, but just, or, or we try and buffer. I think a lot of people, when we feel these uncomfortable emotions, we just want them to go away. So we buffer, we, you know, some people buffer with worship music or Netflix or drinking, smoking or drugs or whatever. But we, we don't ever get curious about those emotions and kind of dive into them. Like I was feeling anxiety a little bit a few weeks ago. And I was like, instead of trying to just make it go away, I was like, what is that? I moved towards it. I got curious about it. I'm like, what is that? What am I thinking? Hmm. And it was realizing that I was like, well, what if something is wrong with the baby? You know, what if, what if, you know, my grandson isn't healthy and whatever. And it was like, oh, we'll deal with it. We'll love him. We'll get him the help he needs and we'll love him every minute we have him. And, hmm. and it was like, oh, and it was just like, that never came up again because I looked at it. I processed it. I dealt with it. Hmm. And so I would encourage people when those uncomfortable emotions come up, instead of just trying to make them go away move towards them and get curious about them and, and figure out kind of where they're coming from. And, and that's what I do with my clients all the time is just, you know, really discovering and looking at why they're thinking and feeling that way. How do you practice curiosity about your thoughts without it leading to condemnation? Because for me, I think I would ask thoughts and it's, it's been a big journey to not then be mean to myself about being curious about my thoughts when I, you know, cause it's like, Oh, I'm going to ask this question. And then it's like, Oh, actually that question leads to me feeling like my motivations are ridiculous or really self-centered or terrible. Oh, that's so interesting. I actually had a friend one time and she said, you know, there's the verse that says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. And she said, so if we are in condemnation, then we've left him. Hmm. 
because there is no condemnation in Jesus. I thought that was so hmm. interesting. It is. And so again, I think if if there's a thought that causes us to feel condemned, if it causes us to move away from him or someone else, then we can kind of look at that thought and just go, that isn't a thought from him. It's not a godly thought. It's not a helpful thought. It's not going to serve me. So maybe I set that aside and I can choose to think something different. Yeah. And I don't know that's helpful, but I think sometimes even when we feel jealous or envious or something, if we just got curious about that, our emotions are going to reveal to us what we really believe mm-hmm. or what we really want, yeah. what we're maybe missing. And and I think we can just kind of view Jesus as he's just like right with us all the time that nothing surprises him, nothing upsets him. I think that's sometimes with, you know, secular books and things that Christians sometimes are very hesitant to look at those. And I think they're so refreshing because the authors have no agenda to prove the Bible's true. And yet it does because Mm -hmm. truth is truth, you know, and they're just kind of coming at it from a different angle. And I think it can sometimes be really helpful to get a different perspective on how things work. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but no, totally. And I, yeah, that's a whole nother topic, but I, yeah. I think a lot of times, I mean, yeah, science just confirms the Bible and yes. Yes. So all the time I do see though, like you, you gave us a great story of of everything with Jim and some practical tools and I can't believe it's already been an hour but anything in there it can be practical emotional something about Jim or your your story but what do you want to leave us with what did we not cover today that you'd like to share yeah let's see I I did want to mention that probably about 10 12 years ago that I went through a pretty severe period of depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I really started to blame Jim. I spent about two years seeing counselors and different therapists and emotional healing and stuff. Spent a lot of time digging around in my past, looking for when, where things went wrong. Mm-hmm. And I really believe if I had met with a coach that was you know, certified where I got certified, that they probably would have picked up on it in the first session, hmm. that the source of my problem was Sherry didn't like Sherry. Hmm. And I was never kind to myself. I was always feeling like a failure and that I was failing as a mom and as a person and in my quiet time and everything and just a lot of self-condemnation. And yet I couldn't quite see that for myself. And so my brain was like, oh, I know if Jim were different, then everything would be okay. If he was invested in self-growth, if he would plan date nights, if he would, you know, do this or that. And, and it was really a really difficult time for me and for him. And, and he was, I think the best thing that he did was not take any of that on. When I was trying to blame him for the problems in our relationship, he's like, yeah, it's not me. 
And, <laughs> you know, I had a friend that I was complaining to her and I said, I just want the real Jim to show up. And she goes, he is. And he's telling you, no, he's telling mm-hmm. you he's not going to jump through your hoops. He's not going to try and be somebody he's not. And I just kind of stepped back and I thought, and I wouldn't respect a man who would. And I just made the decision to let Jim be Jim. Hmm. And it changed everything. And our marriage was really good up until that point. And I would say it was great after that. And we just moved closer and closer together. Hmm. And I think just the fact that I loved him so much. And he was so grateful for everything that I did just in the cancer research and helping him and waiting on him and everything that when we love really well, it increases our heart's capacity to heal and to even process grief. Mm. And there's, you know, scientific studies on that too, that the healthier we are, the better we can process and digest, you know, trauma and, just the sad things that happen in life. And so Mm. I think that's who I love, you know, coaching is just, you know, people, women in particular who are married to in general, a good man, but somehow they've started thinking thoughts that aren't serving them. They're miserable. I was miserable in my marriage and we're both so grateful that I got the help I needed and Mm. pulled out of that and that we were able to just enjoy that time in the last 10 years together. It's amazing. Yeah. That's so good and so encouraging. And thank you for that vulnerability. So I, I, I might not be hard to share now that you've seen the fruit of it, but that's, yeah, that's pretty brave to just admit like, yeah, this was the place I was in mm-hmm. and, and the freedom that came from that. Yes. It's just beautiful. Yeah. But yeah. I know I'm so not alone in that, that there's, there's mm-hmm. lots of, lots of women like that and you know men too but yeah oh I totally see it in my own life so yes yeah yeah of just like sometimes there are things that I'm like oh I just want to blame my husband for and it's really it's just towards myself so Mm -hmm. it's yeah a, a good reminder to not only let God search our hearts but then also to like if we need to go, go seek that help. And we shouldn't be ashamed of that. Right. Sometimes that external perspective, and you know, this, if you're a coach, yeah, you know, is what we need. So yeah. Speaking of that, how can people connect with you? I don't know if someone's like, Oh, I really want to connect with Sherry. And maybe I want her to be my coach or something. But what are ways that people can connect with you? So they could go to my website. It's uh, Mm lovefeelsbetter.com. And And that's where I just believe that we're wired for success and we're wired for relationship and what feels best actually works best. And that's why I chose that name. Love feels better. Mm -hmm. And they could email me at hi at lovefeelsbetter.com. And, and I would get back to them, you know, with coaching sessions, I usually do just a free, you know, one hour consultation and just see if we're a right fit. i you know, belong to a huge coaching community and maybe there's someone else that could better serve them. But I I do think sometimes that even though all the tools that I teach are biblical, sometimes they just, at least in the churches that I've gone to, haven't been taught very well. They haven't been real 
have handles on them, like real practical. What do I do mm -hmm. in these situations? Yeah. And I think that's where the coaching tools are, are so practical and work so well. And there's just so much hope for people and relationships and marriages and even parenting. And we just live in so much condemnation and it's really mm -hmm. not necessary and not helpful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I hope someone, you know, if they feel prompted, reaches out to you. And Sherry, I just want to say thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for doing this. You know, it's just so close to losing Jim and, and the grief that I'm sure you're still in. And, and thank you for your vulnerability and honesty and all of it. We're just so grateful that you did this today. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I, I appreciate it. And I hope it is helpful to some people that there's a little nugget in here that will help people walk through some of the tough journeys where we experience in this life. So thank you, Tara. Thank you so much for joining us. If you want to connect with Sherry, I listed her email and her website in the show notes. And I hope that in her episode, like I hope in every episode, you're taking with you some little nugget, some little practical tip, something to pray for. And just as a reminder, please pray for Sherry. Pray for our guests. They're real people. I'm a real person, just like you are on the other side listening to this. And we really cherish your prayers. So thank you for continuing to show up here. If you haven't, please leave us a review. Leave us a star rating wherever you're listening to this. That helps us a lot. It helps other people find us. And we will join you here again next week. See you Monday.